I'm wrestling, you're not weak for me. Celebrate what I am. Celebrate what I have been. Celebrate what I represent. And celebrate the many ways I have impacted your life. I will survive this test as I have survived others. I am forever etched into the very fiber of all mankind. The world needs me. Time is on my side. History guarantees me. I am wrestling. Do not wait for me. What's up, everybody? This is episode 68 of the T-Row and Funky Show, brought to you, as always, by Defense Soap, Defend What You Have Built, and Dalmer Mats. Tommy, we, we got a lot to talk about this uh, week. Our, our main point is going to be uh, the end-of-the-year end awards show, but we're going to start with this UWW, and if, if, you'd want, if you want to defer and let me just flip out, you can do that. But they came you out... You can. Please, please, please mention to everybody that I'm at the airport right now, so we might have... Some- stuff over the loudspeakers every now and again but well, we're Tom, rocking and rolling Tommy I do have faith though that if, if in fact a United person tries taking you off the airline that they will not be able to get you off the airline you'll, ha- could, you'll hand fight the shit out of them I could, t- I could take them hey we, should, we might as well talk about that since you brought it up <laughs> now I do in fact as a business person I do in fact agree with overbooking because sure. you have a business to run right yeah so of you course can do whatever no, oh you, you should want. overbook you can, you should overbook, but you gotta voucher that shit until somebody Hello? gets off the plane. You just keep you, raising you, you, it you, up. You, you like eight hundred. Just keep up in the end. Thousand, twelve hundred. I completely, I mean, yeah, I completely disagree. I completely disagree with being able to kick off, kick people off the plane. And honestly, no, the reason that's even le- the reason that's even legal is troubling. I feel like some airline lobbyist, you know, fifteen years ago got that passed. Like you should not legally be able to kick somebody off a plane that they booked a ticket on. You should no. not be able to do that. I agree. I, you know, I we we're, we think a lot alike in these situations because I agree 100 percent they should overbook, um, but they should have just kept up in the ante. And if that's something that they exactly. don't want to do, if they say, "Well, everyone's going to figure out we do that," and then they're just going to everyone's going to hold out in the future, you know, then if no one takes it at 800 bucks or whatever, whatever your cap is, right? Um, there should be like a, 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 a there should be a legal cap yeah. of like let's call it three grand per ticket. That way, that way passengers on a plane can't collude. You know, but that's so a lot like, of money to somebody. I mean, yeah. So, it's, so it's somebody, like an somebody will take, someone's going to break at some point, right, Tommy? Someone's going to be exactly. Like, that's me and my wife. And then, that's and then yeah, bucks, like and then, we're flying correct. for free for two and years. Then, yeah, and then if nobody breaks. At three grand, then I guess legally you can kick somebody off. I don't even know about that though, because when you got you can't overbook no, tickets it's, it's to easy. a theater. You, Tommy, you don't you don't legally kick someone off. It was the crew. They always have those crew spots, right? You just find right, another right, flight right. for your crew to take to wherever they need to get to. And if you can't, I'm sure, um, and, and you know, especially this is Chicago to Louisville. It can't be that expensive to charter or to make them drive. One of the two, you know. Correct, it's, correct. It's not like it's going to happen. Or make all someone the time. make someone else drive them because they can't be working; they have to be resting. You know, so there's all those things. Yeah. But there's there's ways around it. It was handled poorly from a public so perspective, and you know, and, and 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 full transparency, Ben. The guy, even though he, it's ridiculous that he got kicked off the plane. He acted like a little bit of a goon, if oh. you ask me. Like, yeah, I mean, you know what? Like, I told my wife though. I think it's one of those situations, um, and I, and I've seen this with with people in a wrestling room. But 
when they get to places they've never been pushed to, you know, they start to like almost like flip out or go in panic mode, you know. So this dude probably ne- he probably never been you. in a scrap in his life, so his freaking adrenaline's through the roof, his heart beats through the roof. He, you know, and so he's acting like a freak because he's never been in a physical altercation of this sort, and that makes people react in really funny ways. Well, that's that's very well put. And then also the other thing to consider is that there might have been a language barrier there. Um, when you, you, you know, he, he was an Asian guy, but I feel like when I heard him screaming, it didn't sound like he had, he spoke perfect English. Yeah. So maybe he didn't even understand exactly what was being said to him, which kind of adds to the being, you know, out of sorts mentally. You know what I mean? Cause yeah. if I, if someone's, if I got four security guards when I'm in Russia speaking Russian to me and I kind of understand, I kind of don't, out. it makes you more skip. Yeah. You're going to flip out. So. So you know you got all those things to consider, but man, what a what a mess that was. Seriously, that that was a mess. Um, I'm flying you. I'm flying United on Tuesday too, so all my Dukes up. <laughs> you know what? The one thing though, Tommy, if if I was uh, in a position that I had like a billion dollars to push around, um, right? You know that that stock dropped about four points on the one day, but I don't. Uh-huh. I don't think that's a long term thing. I'm assuming that's a very short term thing. So if I had like a billion dollars to bet, I'd put. I would have waited till it got to that low point. I would have bet on it, and then it's gonna go back up. <laughs> there you go, baby. Let me, let me see if I have predicted the United Airlines stock. It dropped on what Tuesday or whatever. Let's see. Uh, it's probably right. still down. It, it will not last long. I, I can guarantee you that. Nope, it's back up a little bit because it went. It was down. It's up to sixty nine six, and I think. At the low point, I want to say, hold on, I'm going to look this up. Sure, at the low point, it dropped to 68. So it's back up a little bit. Right, um, right, right. Okay, let's get into wrestling stuff. You know what? I, I was talking it. to someone. Well, actually, well, I'm sorry. I'm not going to get back into wrestling stuff. Um, someone said, <laughs> is this a conspiracy to take people's minds off what's really happening in the news, right? And I said, well, oh, it, it can't be a conspiracy for, for many reasons because, you know, it's like, okay, how would you have known the passenger? How would you have planted him? But how would you know no one else is going to take the money because anyone else is going to take the money, right? So there's so many of these things people couldn't have showed yeah. up. But it's like, isn't it yeah. fascinating what captures people's imagination? I mean, we have one yeah. guy getting beat up on an airline, and there's how many hundreds of other stories that are significantly worse than this? And that's the one – it, it that is like the flash in the pan. Like, how does that happen? It's such a weird thing, right? Yeah, it's 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 like a viral um, intimidation, viral, you know, being scared, viral, you know, just it just you know, you can, things can spin out of control where yeah. people think things and they're not true, or they don't think are they don't think things are true and they really are. It's just it really is. It's a brain tease, is what it is. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's it's so interesting. Um, okay, so in, in wrestling news, UWW changed the rules again, which, um, to my point, the one of the main reasons I struggle with loving freestyle wrestling or wanting to put all my eggs in that basket is these dudes change the rules every single year. And Let me tell you, it's the only reason I can't hitch my wagon to freestyle wholeheartedly. Every because year. Everything about what hap- everything about what happens on the mat um, – Technically speaking, not with points, but technically speaking, what the what the general promotion of action and points are in freestyle, I agree with a lot more than folk style. But these these the federation and what they do and how they do it, the fact that I have to ask questions to my left and right during the U.S. Open or the World Team Trials, the Olympic Games, and I've wrestled since I was six, and, and is you, embarrassing. Not to you made 
multiple world teams. Not to mention right. That part. Even still, though, that's just that just speaks to what I did on the mat. I'm talking about as a consumer of the sport at a very intimate level. I mean, I watch this stuff like a freak show, and I don't follow the whole damn thing. And I got to read press releases every four months about what they're what's going on, what's what are they doing, and all this stuff. It's crazy. Sure. You know, I mean, in the NFL, in the NFL, they moved the extra point back from the three yard line to the ten yard line. And you would have thought the world shook when they did that. <laughs> that's how that's how subtle of changes these guys are making every two decades in the rules of their game. Yeah, we're 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 changing the foundation of the sport every six months. Yeah. So fu- funny enough, I actually was I was coaching practice last night, and I was trying to explain to all the kids why I had a very terrible leg lace, right? And the reason I have a terrible leg lace is because the system I grew up under, the system I wrestled most of my freestyle career under, was, remember, you couldn't have multiple turns unless you had some type of break in the middle. And so in my era, we would... Continuous. You couldn't do it continuous. Correct. So you would gut and you would get the hold point and then you could gut again, right? So that's what I get good at. We gut, you hold, you gut, you hold, you gut, you hold. And you get a one-point takedown, three three three-point turns, essentially, and the match is over. But with the leg lace, obviously, you can't hold them on their back. So you can only do one leg lace, right? So you're going to do all that work and get a maximum of of two points, essentially, Um, unless there was obviously a penalty or something else happened. So everyone, at least in my, you know, when I was growing up, which is the same time as you, we all focused on gut wrench, and that's how different it is. Now, um, you know, these kids are so good at leg laces because you get one and it ends the damn match. Right, I know. No, I'm I'm in the same boat. I mean, I, unfortunately, I had to get good at a leg lace because I couldn't gut big heavyweights, barrel chests, and big guts. So I had to learn how to lace their ankles together and roll them once, and that's all I could do. Yeah. So I, I was trying to explain that to kid, you know, the kids, and just how how different that that was. But so okay, so I think most of the rule changes aren't bad. Most of them are positive, especially the ten weight classes. But then they add this thing in called the correct throw, Tommy, and and yeah. I, I can't take it. It, it, is, it is literally about the stupidest rule change they could have made because, in my opinion, what this does – well, for, let's first of all say, so what a correct throw is, a throw in which you do something but you don't get exposure or don't get a takedown, which to me that sounds like an incorrect throw. <laughs> if you don't expose me, you don't get a takedown. doesn't yeah. sound like a very damn good throw to me. Um, yeah. So it's it's really disappointing. It's so, it's extremely disappointing. And I and I, I don't want to be the guy. I know you like to be this guy, but I don't want to just rip on people for the sake of ripping on them. Oh, Tommy. Um, and I, I I do think some of these rules are good, but even you know the, the the one rule that I disagree with just overwhelms the good things that we're doing that we have to talk about. It. I mean, it's just and, and it's, you know where where I counterintuitive. Will... To everything about wrestling. Well, you know, even bigger than I think the bigger point besides this is freaking stupid. The bigger point is when when your sport is wrought with corruption, and when your referees have been when been caught essentially fixing matches, you you as the governing body should want to make things as objective as possible so there's no doubt who the winner is, so it is as clear as possible. And what you just did between. The correct throw and then the two point penalties is you let you essentially let the referees have free reign to make as many matches, uh, make as many people win matches as they want to. I mean, right? That's what you're doing. Yeah. Well, the correct throw is is interpretive, even if you've been wrestling for thirty years. It's it's very interpretive 
as to whether or not it was an action that resulted in a good action, uh, controlling of the position, but not exposure. Like, there's so many ways to look through that lens and yeah. award points that if in the event that you want somebody else to win a match, you can justify it in the court of law through the correct throw. Yeah. And, and did you much watch, easier did than, you any watch? Other, than any other scoring position in the sport. Yeah. Did you watch the two videos that they had for – Oh, they were – it was I awful. Say, you know, it was so ridiculous. So, so here's here's what's funny is that it's a terrible rule no matter what. But if you're <laughs> gonna try to sell it to the wrestling community, make some videos that are more obvious that two points could be awarded no, for a correct throw. Like those were those were, those were bad examples. Terrible. I mean, if that's the example. <laughs> oh, they were bad. Uh, if, if those are they the examples. So I'll just give our if our audience. And I don't know. You can probably look it up at UWW rules explanation or some crap like that. But the one. Uh, it was two heavyweights, I don't recall. Uh, two high-level guys, I can't recall which ones now. But the one guy shoots a high cross, the other guy turns his back, so he's like standing rear position. And the guy tries essentially what is like um, kind of a Peterson slash standing switch, right? And he kind of bumps. Typical heavyweight moves. Yeah, and he kind of, and the other guy kind of <laughs> like falls to his belly, and but but he's still straight behind the guy with his hands locked, right? And then he unlocks. Basically, his... it's basically a really sloppy flurry. Yeah, and then and then they're like, "Yeah, that's two points because he threw him." And I'm like, "What? He didn't throw nothing. <laughs> he like tried a shit standing switch. It didn't work." And then the guy <laughs> let his hands go and he got away. Oh, uh, I mean, it was terrible. And then on the second one, Kyle Snyder's bear hug. It was Snyder, yeah. The Cuban guy, and the Cuban guy, as a last ditch effort, tries to like double overhook throw him. Falls to his back, and Kyle kind of goes off to the side, does not expose, was not taken down, and has the Cuban guy on his back. And they say, yeah, you that, know, it's, it, that's it, two it, points it, for it, the Cuban rules, guy. Like, what? These rules, let, let's, let's, let's take these rules in the context of other sports. So you're at the plate in Major League Baseball, and you hit a freaking bomb. Just a bomb that is like a 500-foot homer, but it's four feet to the right of the foul line. And it used to be a foul ball. Now it's like, you know, a half of a run or something. Or, you know, some type of reward for hitting the ball real hard, even though you didn't score. That, that, you know, that, or, be, that is a good example. <laughs> it's, a correct, it's a correct hit. Correct hit will give the Mariners a half of a run. Or, or um, No, you, you, know, you actually, instead of a home top. run, you get second base. Yeah, you get a double. Yeah, that's exactly right. Or, or, you know, Tom Brady throws a perfect spiral into the end zone and, and Julian Edelman drops it through his chest. He, he should have caught it, so we'll give him a 15-yard completion. Not, not a 50-yard not <laughs> touchdown, but we'll give him a 15-yard well, completion because it was a good pass. But actually, Tommy, the correct throw has the same value as an exposure or a takedown. So, like, why would I bother yeah. with the whole move when I could do almost the move? Right, right. So the only thing is the correct throw is a would before they award you two for it, right? I mean that, uh, that that's yeah, what it, that's yeah. what it's supposed to be. I, I guess so. Oh. I guess so. Um, Either way, it's ridiculous. And those videos they showed, like I would actually like to see. I would like to see them somehow come up with one, just one. Give me one really good example, clear. Because the two examples they showed, Tommy, I'm like, this is effing stupid. That guy doesn't. That guy doesn't deserve any points. This is ridiculous. Yeah, it's uh, okay. it's brutal, man. 
So, so second topic, UWW, get your shit together as always. Second topic before we do our year-end awards. Um, and Tommy, we, we discussed this last week a little bit, and you said, hey, it's going to be okay. This lady knows what she's doing. Now, Chris Bono, it is reported, has also turned down the pitch job. So you got uh, now three people, Flynn, Santoro, and Bono, all respected, all current head coaches, who now have all turned down this pit position. What do you got to say for yourself this week? Well, I've also heard, I've also heard, and and this is all me reading social media, probably similar to you. I don't have an inside source, other than I do know the AD on a personal level. I haven't spoken to her in years, but at any rate, um, I also heard that the offer was very handsome, and Bono for some reason didn't accept it. So I missed what you said. I I also heard that the offer was very handsome. It was a handsome offer. That so so. You know, it's kind of, you know, to the point. I mean, yeah, you're at South Dakota State. I mean, it wouldn't take much of a handsome offer for me to leave South Dakota and go to Pitt. But allegedly, it was a good offer, and he still turned it down. Um, I know that Bono has some unique administrative report. I always see him flying on a private plane everywhere. So, you know, I guess I guess I still hold out hope that um, Heather Like uh, is aware of the opportunity that exists at Pitt and is showing a sign of investing in into the program more than usual. But to your point, I will agree that when Pat Santoro allegedly turns it down, when Tim Flynn allegedly turns it down, and then Chris Bono allegedly turns it down to remain at South Dakota State, you might, you know, it, it, it's plausible to think that the package is not all that impressive. Yeah, uh, that's what I got to say. But that's what I got to say uh, for myself. Yeah, I, I, you know, Bono to Pitt. I don't know why. But it just didn't make sense to me. There's just not the the connection to the Pennsylvania wrestling community. He's never he's never coached in Pennsylvania. He never competed in Pennsylvania. Um, so I guess that one was like, uh, yeah, he's doing a great job at SDSU. But why? You know, what would be the connection there? Like a Colette, I get Santoro, I get Flynn, I get you know. Um, right, right. But I didn't. I didn't. Well, I just think Bono's. I think Bono's. You know, polishing polishing up South Dakota State, you know, who who basically I didn't even know they were a D1 school until Bono took over there. So, you know, I can see the attraction by an administration like Pitt wanting to speak with him. Um, so I guess that doesn't surprise me that much. Yeah. So I guess uh, I guess hopefully we'll find out in the next few weeks what happens there. So are you ready to do these year-end awards or, or what? Yeah, let's do it, man. Let's okay, go. So- let's go. We'll go. Uh, how about we? Uh, you pick first on on the odds, and I'll pick first on the evens. Got it. Okay. And how many awards are we doing this year? I know you sent me the. We notes. are doing. How many have we got? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten awards. Ten awards. Ten awards, and you can tell we put a lot of thought into this. That we're <laughs> talking about it on air. <laughs> I did. Uh, All right, let's go. Man. I, I, let's you know, go. I did send some stuff out on uh, Twitter yesterday asking for people's nominations in uh, in, in certain categories, um, and so I got, I got some good feedback. But you know, I I made my list prior to putting it on Twitter, and then um, there was just a few decent suggestions on Twitter, but most of the ones they had suggested I had already thought of. So I feel like. I feel like I uh, I have a pretty solid, complete list um, for the categories. Is that fair? So that's fair. So 
case. In the event, I have to board a plane in like 35 minutes, so 10 awards might be hard to get through. So if we ah, can't, we if we this. can't get through, if we can't get through them, then we'll just continue another time. Sure, that's we can do part two of our awards that's about how we next roll. week. I mean, it's I, not- I think we'll get this. So this is this would be your least favorite category. So I'm gonna have you, um, okay, go first. So this is best top wrestler. Um, so your choices, you have four choices, Tommy. I know, I got them in front of me. I okay. got them in front of me. Le- Ethan Lee's. So I'll tell the audience: Ethan Lee's, Seth Rollins, Zane Rutherford, or Daniel Lewis. Those are your four choices. So you know, I'm going with the guy that I've seen the most out of that group, um, and that's where I'm not maybe the best voter. But Zane Rutherford is not only very, very physically punishing on top. But you could argue that he also scored the most points on top this year. I don't know. I'm sure somebody has that data. So he's the most punishing, the most dominant wrestler overall, probably has the most riding time against top 10 opponents, probably has the most points against top 10 opponents from the top position. I'm, he probably is the number one pick I would take to, uh, to ride all of his opponents, you know, for longer than two minutes. You know, every, every top, uh, metric I would, associate with top wrestling i'm giving it to retroperson yeah i think that's uh that's not who i want to pick tommy but um who do you want to pick i want to pick daniel lewis because he's a missouri tiger and uh i do believe he did set an ncaa record this year because if you remember in the first round that he got in a seven minute match he got six minutes and 51 seconds of riding time which yeah but you know right riding time to me sure. is 20% of what makes you good on top yeah. because Andrew Sorensen is good at getting riding time and he couldn't turn a page. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Funny. Yeah, I, I, I get it. I get it. I get it. Um, but, but I know, Dan, I know Daniel Lewis is not cut from that cloth. I know Daniel Lewis is, a, yeah. I'm not trying to say that. I'm just saying that riding time to me is less than half of the equation. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess I, I definitely agree with your assessment that, uh, that he is the choice there, that Zane's the choice. Um, and, and you know, one, one interesting thing about him, I remember watching him his true freshman year thinking he was so boring on top. I mean, he, he, he was that year he rode everyone, but he got very little near fall. He was kind of like, almost like Lezak, where he was just like a backpack with that leg ride, where you couldn't shake him off, right, but right. he didn't get a whole lot of near fall, and then obviously in the, in the last couple of years, he's So just, now he's, he's transitioning into yes. a different type of top rep. Yes, 100%. That's so great. I, uh, I would say best on top, definitely Zane Rutherford. Um, all right. Awesome. Come back of the year, so I, I, I did not, I, I realized that I had not filled this out, um, so I filled this out so you don't have all the choices in front of you, okay, Tommy? Okay, let's so, go. I'm, I'm good on the fly. That's how we do our podcast. Okay, so we, we got a few different categories. You know, it's like two, a couple categories in one category. So comeback of the year, and a few of these I did get off Twitter. Um, number one would be Gilman, Gilman versus Lezak, where if you remember, Gilman went down, yeah, I believe. Yeah, he, he, he broke him from the bottom position. I remember that match. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like the most ridiculous <laughs> statement ever, but either way. Um, yeah. Down in eight nothing. Um, I got number two, I got Minnesota, who obviously had all the legal troubles and, and issues. And 
Man, I, and, and then just looking at their lineup, if you had told me Minnesota takes seventh place this year, I, I say you are freaking totally insane. I mean, completely insane. Totally insane. insane. I, mean, I agree. I, I wouldn't have really picked them in the top 20, to be honest with you. Um, right, right. Number three would be Seth Gross because he was kicked off of Iowa's team uh, two years ago for, I believe, breaking into someone's house and stealing. Do you recall what exactly what it was? Right. Um, he got in trouble. I don't know what it was for, but I think it was just like underage citation, not just on, you know, well, I'm, I'm going to get okay, this right because I, I don't want to put, uh, I don't want to put, okay. no, it was burglary. Okay. Let's see. Yeah. That's bad. Three red shirt freshmen. V they were breaking the vehicles. Okay. I, I didn't want to get that wrong. Yeah. That's not good. That's not, not good. Okay. All right. So we got there. So Seth gross. And then number four is, um, Joey Lavalley, and I just know kind of because I'm a little closer to that program. Uh, he had some struggles last year in his redshirt year. Was kind of thinking, you know, some of the other guys on the team didn't know if he was going to be back, and then um, you know he comes back, makes the NCAA finals um, in his junior season. You, you know who you know who you know who deserves an honorable mention for comeback of the year uh-huh. when he's say Missouri who? is um, Jaden Ironman because oh that's interesting star- yeah because because he started off relatively hot at 133 then basically you know went into an all-time slump freshman cutting a lot of weight so on and so forth and for him to regroup go up to 141 and do what he did at the national tournament i would consider a comeback as well yeah that's a good point and i can't believe i didn't think of that because i know like i said a lot of people were super high on him kind of like you said and then um Man, they were you know when NATO destroyed him, and then he lost yep. to somebody else that kind of wasn't a big name, and a lot of people wrote him off and said, "Hey, you know, hey, he's done." And you and and the fact that he's a freshman, um, and he and he was able to like keep his mind together and do what he did, it just really bodes well for his sophomore, junior, senior. It shows how gritty the kid is. You know what I mean? And I don't even know him. I've never even said a word to him. I've barely watched him wrestle. But when you tell me that story, when I read about it, it's like that's a gritty dude. Yes, hundred percent. So, oh, my choice was my choice first. <laughs> I can't pick Gilman, although that might be the best option. I'm, I'm gonna go. With, I don't think so. I, I'm gonna go with the University of Minnesota because I really, 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 uh, man, I couldn't have seen them being anywhere. I couldn't have seen them sniffing the top ten if you if you told me that in the, you know this summer or. After last season, or you know, I was they, they ain't gonna be close. They're not gonna be close. And right. For them to take seventh after all the turmoil and everything else that went on, um, that's really, really, really impressive. I could not agree more. Unfortunately, I know our show is better when we disagree, but I I do agree with you. I would I I left that program not for dead forever, but I thought they were going through a couple years of turmoil. Um, I know Brandon Egan did a good job under Jay Robinson, but to the point we were discussing yesterday, uh, last week about how leadership ascends, so on and so forth, Brandon Egan is a, on paper, is a pretty atypical choice for a guy to take uh, a program that's, you know, kind of, you know, a shell of what it was, you know, and then in all that turmoil, and for him to do what he did in a short amount of time. Put a sophomore in there. I think Lee's actually a sophomore in the national finals. Get seventh of his team. That's the biggest surprise of the year for me. I'd call that the comeback. Yeah. Well, we we agree. So we've, we're two for two in, in, in agreeing. 
Uh, I know, but that doesn't boost ratings. We gotta we gotta fake our <laughs> argument or something. Uh, all right, category number three, most exciting, and, and I left option four open, so you you can throw in whoever the hell you want. Um, okay. Number one, Bo Nickel. Number two, Jason Nolf. Number three, Cade Brock. Number four, put it, put it whoever you want in there. Yeah. So you know, even though I, I don't personally like his style of wrestling as much as others i would say when it comes to the term exciting meaning you know it's hard to predict what's going to happen and whatever does happen is usually exciting i i think i'm giving that to bo nickel now i, I kind of want to give it jason Nolf. um he's very exciting too but bo nickel the way that he wins and the way that he scores points is so unconventional that it's a little bit more exciting. I get a little bit more on the edge of my seat when he's wrestling than Jason Nolf. So I'm going with Nickel. Nickel, okay. Well, well we, we are going di- to disagree here because for for what it's worth, I, I got Jason Nolf. I, th- I think he's the most exciting wrestler. And, and it, he, you know, for a lot of people, I think there's a detraction because he's so dominant. And part, part of exciting, right, is we don't really know who's going to win or who's going to lose. Um, you know that's part of what makes events exciting, and, and well, really, probably it probably has a lot to do with the Bo Nickel. To your point, I mean psychologically, that's probably why I gravitated to Bo Nickel is because not only is he is does he cool do good stuff, but you know he's wrestling a lot of guys where you're, you're not sure he's going to win. At least I'm not, and then he freaking flapjacks them. You know, whereas Nolf, it's a foregone conclusion before he steps on the mat on what I think is going to happen. Yeah, and I think that takes away, but. Uh, man, he's got some serious ingenuity. I saw him hit at least a handful of moves this year in matches that I've never seen hit in in live competition. I can't. I, I am not going to hate on the on the Jason Nolf prediction, as you would imagine. I mean, anybody that's going to argue, I'm not arguing that. I'm just saying I'm taking nickel. You know. Yeah, for sure. So um, the other one that came to mind, but he didn't wrestle enough matches. To, for me, was Dylan Palacio. I think he's fairly entertaining, but he only wrestled like 13 matches or 11 matches or something, so I don't know that I you know, I had a hard time wanting to put him on here. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Okay. Um, all right, Tommy. Category number four would be category that is, is very near and dear to myself. And that would be the best scrambler. Um, so I've watched all four of these guys. All four are very high-level scramblers. Uh, I think I know who I'm going to pick. Uh, so we got number one, Seth Gross. Number two, Jason Nolf. Number three, Bo Nickel. Number four, Brett Farr. So so can I go on this one since you're the scramble guy anyway? Everyone's yeah, going to okay, care about your sure. opinion more than sure. mine. Go ahead. So... So I'm going to go with Jason Nolf, but let me tell you why. Um, it's not because he's the most exciting scrambler. Yeah. It's because he scrambles when there's nothing left to do, when the baseline fundamental aspects of wrestling have not worked for him. He then resorts to scrambling that I think is well done. It reminds me of the conversation that you and David Taylor have, and I was on the podcast, but I wasn't in that conversation, where you know the best scramblers just use it as a continuation of wrestling. Yeah. And I feel like out of all the all four of those guys, 
because Brett Favre gets in a lot of cool scrambles. Yep. But you know, I feel like he goes to scrambling if that makes yes. sense. And I'm yes, I'm, yes. I'm nitpicking here because he's a good wrestler. I just think Jason Knoll is doing the baseline stuff. In the event that it doesn't work out for him, then he jumps to the scrambling stuff. So I give it to Knoll. Sure. So um, the, the one thing, so I, I have I have a hard time. My my two here will be will be Nolf and um, Seth Gross. My kind of final two. Um, Seth Gross is just you know he has the body for it. He's so lanky. The one thing that I, I will kind of say I don't like is I do feel it kind of almost what you're saying. He he does rely on it so much. Um, I think that's a right. real for me. That's a real negative. I mean. The worst thing, you know, no we, doubt. we do no that doubt. scramble camp, Max and I, in, in August with all elite kids, and I can't, it drives me insane when they say, oh, my kid's a scrambler, he doesn't shoot, he just scrambles, and I'm like, well, what, is he training himself to lose? Like, why the hell is he doing that? Right. So, um, yep. that being said, what I take against Jason Nolf in this category is that he's just so much better than everybody, and not just in scrambling, but freaking everywhere. He's so much better than everyone in damn near every single position. Um, right. And so it's like, is he really the be- at best? I have a tough time. You know, I would like to see him, I guess, against guys more his skill level. Um, but the, obviously there's not a lot. There's there's no one at 157 that can really go with him, right? Um, so maybe he would need there's to There's no one at 57 up. that can go with him. But let me look. Let's, let's, you know, Jason Nolf, is, he's amazing. But he's not the most uh, athletically gifted guy which means that sometimes there's these four or five second spurts that guys will get him dead to rights on because his baseline yeah. defense, he didn't react quick enough or whatever. Yeah. And then as a result of that, he goes to scrambling. And I'm just impressed with you know his methodology of how he gets to sure. that point. And then, and then he does it, and then he's very good at it. You know what I mean? So that's yeah. why I appreciate how he scrambles. Hey, did I tell you I got to work out with him? Yeah, I saw the Twitter picture. How'd that go? It was awesome. Good workout? So much fun. Good workout. Awesome. Um, you know, I you know, and I, I know people did this with me, Tommy, a lot, but I, I look at him, right? He doesn't look that strong, but obviously, right. I knew he was going to be strong just based on his actions, right? Based on the way he does right, stuff. Right. Um. So he was even stronger than I assumed he was going to be. I figured he was going to be strong, just like I said, just by the stuff I watch him do. Right. Like this dude's going to be strong. Um. And yeah, he those, was, those he was Pennsylvania hill, those, uh, that, Yeah, that that Pennsylvania hillbilly strength can compete with the Wisconsin cheesehead strength for sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I'm, you know what, I'm I'm gonna go with Seth Gross here just for the fact, simple fact that Nolf is just so much better than anyone at his weight. Um, I think Seth Gross and Nolf are the best two, but I, I'm gonna go with Gross on this one, um, and maybe we'll get to see. You know, I would like to see. And I know we can't see this because it's really college. I would love to see Nolf bump up against a few of the 6,500s to see how that goes next year. I'm in. I can, in? I, can, I can live with Gross. I can live with Gross. Okay. So you picked Nolf, though, correct? I picked Nolf because I think Gross goes to scrambling, and I'm just not a fan of going to scrambling. I'm a fan of falling back and resorting to scrambling because there's no other option. And even as good of a scrambler as you were, Ben, that's what you did too, and I like that type of scramble. David Taylor's the same. Yeah. So, I'm 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 gonna pay homage to that type of scrambling as opposed to people who jump to it. Nice. Okay. So freshman of the year, 
Mark Colvin, Chenzo Joseph, Logan Massa, or Zahid Valencia, which this is kind of a funny category because obviously um, Chenzo beat Massa and Hall beat Valencia in the semifinals of the NCAAs. But when I, when I went up and down, there were some other good candidates, but I truly think these are the best four you can find for freshmen. Well, Colin Moore only lost to Jaden Cox and Brett Farr. I'm surprised you didn't put him in there. Well, you, you can throw him in there if you want. I just think he deserves you, a nomination. He's so he, so he, took, year, he took third at NCAAs, and, and Massa and Valencia took, both took third at NCAAs. I believe of the three, Massa, Valencia, and Colin Moore, that Colin Moore would have had the most losses, right? Because Valencia only had one loss, which is a Mark Collin. Massa, I believe. Yeah, had, yeah, yeah, yeah. He had, yeah Massa only yeah, had two you're losses, right, You're correct? right. He's probably... Yeah, he's probably the fifth nominee. You're right. He's the fifth nominee, and we're not doing five. We're doing four, so and the I other, guess you I make mean, sense. The other obvious one that, that's really good, and he was just in a really good bracket, is Stephen Mitchick. I, I, I believe he took oh, yeah. fourth, but that was that bracket was just loaded. I'm down. I'm down with that. So uh, I'll so, go first. You, you went you first go, you Ben go, Chandler. Um, this one's so tough for me to pick because, like I said, obviously Hall and Joseph beat the other two in the NCAA semis. But, you know, when you look at Mark Hall's season, it definitely wasn't as good as Valencia's, right? Hall had, I believe, four losses. Valencia had zero during the regular season. His only loss of the year was to Mark Hall. And then Joseph, same thing, kind of have had a significantly less impressive season, I, I think, again, with four or five losses than Massa did. So... You're, you're picking Hall or Joseph, I, you know, I'm assuming, because those guys are the champions over Massa and Valencia, who both had better seasons yet did not have as good of an NCAA tournament. Um, right. So I guess if, if I have to pick here, i got to go with Vincenzo Joseph, even though of the four he probably had the least impressive season, but he beats Daniel Lewis, Logan Massa, and then obviously Imar three in a row to win the NCAA championship, so I'm going to go with him as freshman of the year. I am too. I thought you were going to take Mark Hall, um, and I will say that um, it's a tough one, but I kind of view, like, when you say good season versus winning at the end, it's like saying, you know, um, Valencia and uh, and uh, Massa went 15-1 and one in the NFL, and Mark Hall and Vincenzo went 12-4. and four. I mean, they still had good seasons. Yeah, and then, you know, I, it wasn't like they had average season. If they had an average season, you could argue that they're not freshmen of the year. They just had a great NCAA tournament. But both of those guys were seated pretty high at the Nationals, I think fourth or fifth. And um, I'm taking Vincenzo by a small margin just because of who he beat at the National Tournament. So I'm taking Vincenzo as well. Nice. Okay. <laughs> we got to move here, dude. We got to move. Why is Delta calling you? No, they're not calling me yet, but okay. I got people lining up, you know. All right. We got to match of <laughs> match of the year. Uh Lezak versus Gilman in the duel, Mays versus Kalka in in the in the duel at Columbia, Missouri. Vincenzo versus Imar and say finals or Sorensen versus Zane in the duel at Iowa. Man, um I'm taking I got two matches that I want to choose from. Gilman Lezak, which if you in a vacuum and you don't think of the implications of the match, I would say that was more exciting than Imar Vincenzo. But given that it's for the national title, who Vincenzo beat and how he beat him, 
I'm going Vincenzo Imar for match of the year. Okay. I, I'm going Sorensen Zane all the way. Uh, I oh, remember, God. I, I watched this one live. I mean, I watched this one live, and I remember um, that I didn't think Zane was – I thought Zane was kind of untouchable. You know, I didn't think anyone was going to come close. And uh, when Sorensen got that first takedown, I'm like, ah, oh, he got lucky. He's going to keep it close, right? And then they went back and forth and back and forth all the way to double overtime. And I remember thinking, like, holy crap. I just had this feeling that Zane was going to lose, which I did not think I would see happening. Um, right. <laughs> so I got Sorensen Zane. That was awesome. Um, plus the implications of the duel, too, because if you think about it, they Iowa won the first two matches there. And so if they win that one, I believe they're up 11-3 um, to three at that point. So uh, that, that, was a, that was a big win for Zane and a fun match. All right, upset of the year. Nickel over Dean, Joseph over Imar, Cruz over Gilman, or Ohio State over PSU at the Big Tens? Man, it's either got to be Vincenzo over Imar, Ohio State over PSU. Really? That's not mine. Yeah. That's not mine at all. Who's yours? Mine is Cruz over Gilman. Because, you know, when I'm thinking biggest upset, I'm thinking like, what could I not see happening? Yeah, I, you know, I could have seen yeah. Ohio State win. Yeah. And I could have seen Joseph win. I thought it was a long shot. But, Tommy, I'm telling you, if you asked me in a million years if Cruz or beat Gilman, I would say that is, that's just not going to happen. You, that, that's unrealistic. Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't thinking straight. I can't believe you didn't make fun of me. I mean, I don't know what I was thinking, but I'm uh, with you now. Yeah, and so, um, you know, when Suriano pulled out of that bracket, I remember thinking, like, Gilman's kind of got a cakewalk. I, I don't really think there's anyone that can touch him. I thought maybe if Joey Dance made the finals and didn't have to cut weight that he might he might be able to hang with him. But, yeah, I, I cruise over Gilman. Uh, now, I loved it because I don't like Gilman, but was completely right. shocking to me. Right, right. No, I'm with you, man. Cruz, Cruz Gilman. I mean, I don't know why I even considered the other options now that I think about it. Um, best event. We did this last year because we, you know, we like the promotion wrestling. And I, Tommy, now that I'm looking at it, I'm like, I don't even think we should do it because there's not as none of these are as competitive. Or we should take NCAs out of the picture. No, I don't think there is anything that deserves to be called the best event. But there's two events that I think are notable for a number of reasons. The first one is Rutgers versus Princeton. The fact that they got as many people as they did for you know, what, what, what would be considered second-tier programs and the fact that they could corral that many people to watch a wrestling match, I thought spoke volumes to yeah. East Coast fan base, what Rutgers, is, Rutgers and Princeton are doing. So I thought that was impressive. They took the Iowa-Oklahoma State model and made something of it. So I think they deserve some credit there. And then even though Ohio State got their tails absolutely whipped by Penn State, you know, Ohio State's program, it's a new thing that Ohio State is getting really good crowds. Like, it's not that new that Penn State's getting good crowds. They've been packing Rec Hall for years. And um, I know their crowds are better than, than they used to be, but they, they, they've packed Rec Hall for years, Iowa, Oklahoma State. I think Ohio State is finally, you know, they're one of the first programs, the last program to really start getting a real fan base that never had one was Minnesota. And yeah. um, Ohio State Ohio State has an absolute legitimate top-tier fan base and attendance at matches, and that's that's a new thing to me. So I think they deserve some credit for getting 15,000 people to come to that Penn State match. 
Wow. Hey, I just had an interesting, um, speaking, literally as you were talking, Tommy, uh, I had some interesting come up on my Twitter feed, and it was directly relevant to what you're saying, and I'm waiting for the full article to load, but it said that we're at a, a 15-year high for home college dual attendance, which I think is fantastic because you have guys like Wade Chalice who, who are saying, um, you know, no one's coming to matches, et cetera, et cetera, which I don't feel like is true, right? I feel like wrestling people are finally figuring out how to promote our sport. So this article says college wrestling dual attendance at a 15-year high, uh, blah, 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 blah. Iowa leads the nation again. Penn State is, uh, is second in the country. And guess who's third? The Buckeyes, baby. The Buckeyes, 5,880 people per match. Yeah, so I guess, yeah, that is that is impressive. The 15-year high stat is cool. And, you know, Ohio State is the newest kid on the block for having legitimate per-match attendance, in my opinion. Nice. Well, I, I dig that. Okay. Um, and then Oklahoma State's four, Rutgers is five, probably on the power of that uh, that football stadium match. Iowa's, this one shocked me. Iowa State's at six, despite the fact that I believe their dual meet record was like one in 12. That's kind of shocking to me. Yeah, it's just next next year they're they're probably going to be they probably will pass Ohio State next year and, and take the number third spot. And Ohio State will drop the four, just with the momentum of what Dresser's doing. You know the the fandom. You know they've they've had obviously they've been they've been number two probably more than they've ever been any other number yeah. in terms of attendance in the last thirty years. You know definitely, what I mean? Definitely. Okay, so we have uh, two categories left. Coach of the year. Kale Sanderson, Brian Smith, Chris Bono, and Brandon Egum. And of the of the um, publications, I believe one of them has picked Coach Smith and one of them has picked Kale Sanderson. I, I don't always love it when you just pick the, the best guys. And so I think, obviously, we kind of talked about what Egum has done at Minnesota and now what Bono has done at SDSU. Uh, they've both done an amazing job with those programs. Obviously, Egum in a very short period of time. Bono, it's taken a few years, but he kind of started at a lower point. Um, so I guess, I, you know, I would, for, for what has happened, I, I would pick Agum. I, I, I've said this like five times. I didn't see Minnesota anywhere near the top ten. So for them to finish seventh, for me, is uh, is mind-blowing. I can't knock the pick. Um, I am a guy that typically doesn't like to just take the best team. But I do think that Kale did the best job coaching this year. Um, he, people don't remember, but he lost Jared Cortez to an ACL at 133. He lost Suriano to an ankle injury at 125. And, um, you know, he still, you know, was dominant at the national tournament. So to have two season-ending injuries, one with a, a likely finalist and the other with a likely All-American, to still be uh, – to still have that gap between uh, the other teams – I just think he deserves to have it. And the way they wrestle, the way that they wrestle, sure. I just want to give him the nod and say he's the coach of the year. And I hate saying that. You know I'm a diehard Buckeye, but um, mm-hmm. I'm going to give it to Kale. Well, he's pretty damn good at coaching. Yep. <laughs> and, and wrestling, for that matter. Um, all right, last he only won the he only, he only won the Olympics once, so. <laughs> uh, I, John Smith has anyway. John Smith's quoted it saying, as saying that, too. Uh, it wasn't about Kale, though. It was about... Who the hell was it about? He said, hey, he only won the Olympics one time. 
Okay, wrestler of the year, the T Rome Funky Wrestler of the Year, Jaden Cox, Jason Olf, Zane Rutherford, Kyle Snyder are only four undefeateds, and they were all Hodge finalists. So I guess we, you know we kind of talked about this. Um, I I already gave my pick on on a different episode, so let's hear yours. Well, wrestler of the year is different than most valuable wrestler. Different than I, the most dominant wrestler. Yeah, you can tell call um, whatever the hell you want, Tommy. You, you can pick your criteria. Okay, if it's most valuable, I'm taking Kyle Snyder. He's the most valuable to his program. He's the most valuable to um, college wrestling out of anybody. So I think Kyle Snyder is the most valuable wrestler in college wrestling to his team, to the sport, so on and so forth. But the wrestler of the year, to me, would be Jason Nolf. I thought he was the most dominant across the board in all of his matches. I know he didn't get quite as many bonus um uh, uh, bonus, bonusable matches, but he did. I think he was only have, one behind, I believe. Yeah, yeah, and he and he didn't have any overtime matches or any goofy matches like Rutherford did. Yeah, and so I think Jason Jason Nolf was the, there was the greatest gap between him and his his field, and we've talked about it. You know, the field was not as competitive as maybe some other fields, but I'm giving wrestler of the year to Jason Nolf, most valuable wrestler to his team, to the sport is Kyle Snyder. Yeah. So I, I have a tough time with this because I, I, you know, I started saying, well, if we can define our own criteria, right, we can call it a, we can call this category a few different ways. So I did say right. Nolf was my pick for the Hodge. I think Rutherford had those two really close matches, the two-to-one win over Kalka, and then the overtime match with Sorensen. So, so and, and Nolf didn't have that with anybody. Um Right, and so that was why I thought Nolf was the Hodge winner because what you said, the gap between him and the field is is bigger than any other weight class. Um, right, but I think if you go the best wrestler out of these four, it, to me is obviously Kyle Snyder. Not only does he win at the college level, Correct. he wins at the national level, and you know, kind of to my point, what I was making but, but uh, it against it Nolf, been the best wrestler. But again, what the point I was making against Nolf um, when I was talking to. The FRL guys is that he couldn't even beat Mark Hall. He couldn't make the junior world team. He couldn't make the twenty under world team. Kyle yeah, Snyder yeah. is winning no, I'm, Olympic I'm with titles. You. It's like, but when you, I, I couldn't agree more. The best wrestler in college wrestling. It's not even a, a debate who the best is. It's not even close. Yeah. But when you say wrestler of the year, I feel like it encompasses the wrestling season. Kyle Snyder wrestled a half of a wrestling season at best. So I'm trying to be as transparent as possible, but. The best wrestler is the guy that can beat the most people. And, and you know, as dominant as Jason Nolf was, because he was dominant, I still think Kyle Snyder is the least likely to lose at the collegiate level. Yeah, that, and that, that, that's kind of, I would say, least likely to lose. Like, nobody's beating Kyle Snyder. It's just not going to happen. Right, 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 right. So, all right, Tommy, I, th- I think that rest of this episode, you can get on your plane and, and fly across the sky and then not get kicked off. And uh, I will talk to you next week. Yep, I'm getting some training in for my United flight on Tuesday, so wish me luck. All right, thanks, Tommy. See you. Later, man. See you. You are listening to the T. Rowan Funky Show, and it is brought to you by Defense Soap. Defend what you've built. Tommy, I got to say, I I tried these products. He shipped me a box. Uh, I love them. I've I've had, uh, if you know me, you know I've had ringworm issues for a long time. Um, So I'm looking forward to putting these in my repertoire, and and hoping uh, the ringworm does not come back ever.
No doubt, Ben. And to top that off, the company was created by wrestlers. Guy Seiko wrestled at Cleveland State University. His son was an All-American in Virginia, so these people really get it. They know what the wrestling community needs.